0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: That's a fine song. Not Brown Maiden, do you
0: know it? Up,
1: it goes... A row, and not brown maiden. A reem, not brown maiden. A row, row, row maiden. You're the maid for me. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them on the show for the first time. This week, we're going to do our fifth Powell and Pressburger film but it's also a very special episode Mike because it's a request this is a request from Deborah in Canada who said such nice things about our show on Twitter and we are so happy to fulfill her request this is a good time to remind everybody you can follow our show on x at 15 five min film you can also follow us where Mike letterboxed we always say this at the end but we're saying it now follow us please leave us reviews if you can let us know what to watch so deborah this episode's for you mike and i don't know what the other guy's gonna say that's what makes the show fun for us to do we really hope you like the episode so in part one we always talk about our overall take on the movie what is it about this movie that struck us when we watched it this time for the show mike you're a big fan of this movie what do you love about it
0: i it's it's difficult. To say. I mean, I just like the way people say Kaloran. I I watch this movie. I think I've seen this movie like six times in two years. So, and I, you know, we watch movies for the podcast. We watch other movies that we never record. So, six times in two years uh, is is a lot. There's there's nothing I don't like about this movie. I think first of all that it's it's beautifully written. Um, our previous episode was Spirited Away, which was written on an intuitive structure, kind of more like jazz. Uh, this is. The exact opposite. This is the most tightly plotted. Right at a screenwriting class, beautiful, polished script. You could you could get from beginning to end everything, including the the funny visuals um, that help elucidate the plot. Like when she's on the train, everything is good. I I, I you you can't find you can't find a movie with better, more useful a uh, dream or fantasy sequences. Then you find this movie, unless you're watching like Vertigo or something. This, I mean, this movie's just a masterpiece. I would watch, I would watch Roger Livesey do anything. Is there an? I can't think of another actor I like to hear talk as much as him. Everything about this movie uh, is is beautiful. I I won't take it as an extra moment, but but the dance that they go to, the Kaylee, the Kaylee, the, the Kaylee. It's it's that's like a perfect twelve minute sequence. From if, if you had to can something and just send it out in the universe, just in case aliens find, I would send the Kaylee sequence from uh, from I Know Where I'm Going. So it's very difficult for me to say what I like about it because there's nothing that I don't like about it.
1: Fair, fair enough, fair enough. So when I watched it, it reminded me, I think that this movie is a sibling of a movie that we've done before on the show and a movie we both love. And it didn't, it didn't hit me all at once, but I watched it twice for the episode today. And I'm thinking like, what is it, what is your mind? So I want to talk about Wendy Hiller. So she played Eliza in Leslie Howard's uh, Pygmalion. I knew her for a long time as the Russian princess in Murder on the Orient Express. And I put that together, right? So here, as I'm watching the film the second time, I kept thinking to myself this, okay, if this were made in America, If they did a remake of this in America, which I can't believe they haven't, right? Because it's already written, right? You'd have to change some of the the geography. I'm like, so instead of, you know, going from London to Caloran, she goes from like Manhattan to the Ozarks or or someplace like that. I'm like, who would play her? And then it hit me. It hit me like a flash. Who would play that part? The answer is Barbara Stanwyck. Can't you see Barbara Stanwyck? in in Like replaying that part, right? And then that made me think, I'm thinking about Barbara Stanwyck, so I'm driving around the rest of the day and think about things and movies pop in your head. And then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, that reminds me so much of a Barbara Stanwyck movie that we both love and have done for the show. And that's The Lady Eve. And then the more I pushed it and the more I did what you call doing the Dan, I'm like, wait a minute, you put this, this and The Lady Eve are like at least siblings or they're at least cousins, right? Because, you know, in The Lady Eve, you have a con woman who looks to a wealthy man to get his money, but that she falls in love with the Mark, you know, Henry Fonda right here. Of course, Wendy Hill is conning herself. Like she's going to, she's going to marry this corporation. I love how she's going to marry the corporation um, for her own social advancement. She wants the silk stockings, the real ones when she's little. And, you know, just as Barbara Stanback is ready to hurt Henry Fonda to get the money from, you know, the ale that won for Yale, she's kind of doing the same thing. And in both cases, we're watching what we know must happen. Like we know that already. We know it way before the characters do is that each woman thinks she knows where she's going, but we know where she's really going to go. And the movie's about them finding that out, find, catching up to us, and then being happier for it. And uh, remember her itinerary gets thrown in the water and then she has no schedule anymore? Well, that's kind of what happens with Barbara Stanwyck when she's literally out to sea you know, with Henry Fonda. We'll go back to part two of I Know Where I'm Going. In part two, we always talk about our favorite moments or moments that grabbed us this time. It might not be the same moment you pick next time. But Mike, when you got ready for the show today, what moment
0: popped in your head? When they're uh, on the bus with all the Islanders and they're talking about what a fool the guy is who owns the house and he's digging out a swimming pool. And what what they're really teasing him for is not, not only... You could write the scene one way such that they're so broke that they don't understand luxury, but they're making fun of him because he doesn't he doesn't understand how to how to enjoy the island. He literally bought it, or at least he's rented it, right? You he's can't buy it. you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it, right? So he's rented happiness and he 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 doesn't know where the instruction manual is. He, he can't find it. Uh, And that's what that's really what they're laughing about. And of course, she's getting all defensive, and he's caught in the middle, and he doesn't know what to do. Uh, But I I just think that that's a that's a brilliant sequence. And this this movie has such interesting ways of getting information out into the open. Um, If you remember from the beginning, when they actually do the flashbacks of her as a little girl, right in screenwriting class, they'd go. No, just find a way for her to work it into conversation. And this movie goes, no, nah, I could do it in 45 seconds. I'll just, I just won't take that much time. And every, and everything is perfect. And this is just, this is just a beautiful way of drawing on the fact that she doesn't know where she's going. Right. Uh, that's, that's, it's a, the scene is emblematic of the film as a whole and the the way that she's sitting next to him and they're getting closer together, but she's also angry at him and, uh, and everything they say is funny and also barely intelligible. And I, I think I think there is something about the accent and the way that they say calor and that that tickles me. I I guess I don't know.
1: That scene is great because I love when they're making fun of him and they um why couldn't he catch the fish? The fish don't know him, they, you know, and that everything. And I love how you never see him. That's a great that's a great screenwriting thing is that you never meet him, where you don't have to compare him to because he's just a voice, and you, and that's why there's a great moment where she says, "Do you have a cold?" When they're
0: talking on the phone because she can't even recognize his voice. Anymore. Doesn't know his voice. Yeah. And her father says, "Well, you can't. Well, he can't marry British Chemical." <laughs>
1: so my moment has to do with that same vibe on the bus and it has to do i got a little wind up here to get to it which is what which of my favorite writers did i think about watching this movie samuel johnson and why did i think about samuel johnson off and on while i was watching this uh, because he hates the scotch right because he was always making fun of the scots right because boswell of course was scottish and johnson loved to tease him about that and there's all those famous lines like you know um where he says to boswell you know what enemy would invade scotland where there's nothing to be got <laughs> he says like uh you know knowledge and knowledge among the scots he says it's like bread in a besieged town every man gets a mouthful but no one gets a full meal
0: right boswell was, tells johnson you can't hold it against me because i can't help it
1: yeah and he says that's what i find many many of your countrymen cannot help and so he he loves all these things. But there's one point where Boswell says, "Um, you know, this was a noble prospect." And Johnson says, "The most noble prospect a Scotsman sees is the high road to London." So, there, and he's constantly teasing him about that. It was all done in love. Now, this movie, of course, plays upon the obvious contrast between London and Caloran, right? Between these two worlds. there's a million examples, like you said, like, why would you dig a swimming pool when you can go into the river? Like he can't fish because the fish don't know him. Um, They asked the one guy, Rory, when's the storm going to be over? And he says, the storm will be over when the wind stops blowing. So they have this whole kind of vibe in Scotland, which is really great. And the movie is all about how she learns to like, kind of accept that, right? She's like, and that's, we've seen that in a bunch of other movies too. So my moment is when they go to the Kaylee. you know, can you dance the Scottish? And they go to the Kaylee, and there's this moment that just hit me uh, that that was so good in that thing. And it's not the dancing. Do you remember why the Kaylee is happening? Uh, for the wedding anniversary. For the wedding anniversary. And these people have been married for 60 years. So they get this old guy and they get his wife and they start going, speech, speech, speech. And he says, um, and the movie gets quiet and you get quiet. He goes, um no, 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 And he doesn't say anything. And I think that is so great because he's the opposite of her fiance. He's not showing off. He's he's not, he he doesn't have to say anything. He's done it. He's been married for 60 years. He's not going to make some phony speech like that. And what's cool about the movie is that Scotland is more authentic than London is, right? Caloran's more authentic than London. That's why, you know, um, Roger lives. you know, he only tells her incidentally that he's the Lord of Kaloran. Right. It only kind of comes up. You're not supposed to brag about things. Her fiance, of course, you know, is only renting the place. He can't be of it. And I think, I think that you get introduced into the values and the assumptions of the people in Kaloran. And of course, like you're charmed by them. Right. So when she says, Oh, they're so poor. And he says, "Um, they're not poor. They just haven't got any money. And like, you kind of like, you kind of adopt that. And of course, you meet that, how about that Um, that drip woman who's asking her, like, do you play bridge? Do you play bridge? And you have to stay in, stay in the castle with that snotty girl. But then you see the, the, the Kaylee and you know, like, well, which one would you rather be at, right? So it's kind of cool that the movie, you're like her. You kind of get sucked into this alternate universe where things are more, I, I would say they're better, but like they're more authentic. Does that make sense? I think
0: that the best thing about it is how that's represented with time on screen, because there there are breaks like like you said when they go uh meet the couple with the with the little girl and sit down at the table right with her That uh, that's maybe three minutes of the movie, but it feels like much longer, because what they've done is they've they've gotten you into the rhythm of the movie, and then they break it so you can feel it, which is like swimming. And then you have to get out of the pool to go get something right. And the only thing that makes sense is to get back in the pool. That's where you feel good. And that's, that's the rhythm of the movie when they drop you back into the Kaylee and let it carry you through to the end.
1: That's a great point because th- that you see that castle that they live in and it looks kind of cool. Like if you're in America, like, oh, it'd be cool to live there. But then you realize that the big that big table is like the breakfast table in Citizen Kane and like nobody's having any fun there. And you're like, Can I go back to the Cayley where the where the floor creaks and you stand on the ladder and everyone's having a good time? Welcome back. In part three, we talk about the ending or the title. So Mike, take us wherever you want to go.
0: Right. So I'll I'll put this out there. So we were talking about the battle of values between uh London London and Scotland right you can't marry British British chemical and so of course the ending is set up by a terrible thing that Wendy Hiller's character does which is she can't wait for the storm because she knows that she's going to fall in love yeah uh with Caloran and so she bribes the kid to take them over which is more money than he's ever seen in his life and will allow him to you know go forward with his teenage marriage that he wants to do so he can be married for 60 years. And so she tempts him with money. They're not right. They're not poor. They just haven't gotten any money. And he doesn't really even know that he's poor until she extends out what to her is, is pocket money or a light inconvenience, but to him is, is the greatest fortune on the Island. So he's, he's got to try and the movie's been building you up to it. Like that's wrong in itself, but the movie's been building you up to it until you, you can, if you don't feel the moral violation of that, then you're not watching the movie correctly and and the scene with them on the boat where they have to bail out the engine is is the most harrowing there's no there's there's not even really a hint of sexuality in this movie whatsoever but the the working side by side you know and and bailing out at bailing at the boat is the closest that you're going to get
1: yeah. And it's also the best depiction in movies of seasickness because as somebody who who loves to go on their friend, or I used to, like, yeah, we'll go out fishing. And then after twenty minutes, I'm like, get me off of this boat because I'm gonna throw up. Like that, that is such good seasickness
0: inducing cinema. And this is such a beautiful Chekhov's gun because you know, you, you have the storm and it's the reason they're there. You you know you you know they're gonna have to go out into it. And so you've you've written a check. And it can't bounce, you know. Yeah. That, so it's very brave as a screenwriter to, to write that scene. And then even better as those actors really, they, they pull it off beautifully.
1: I love how the movie shows it starts with her as a little girl, but she remains a little girl because she remains very immature and very much like a spoiled kid for much of the movie because all of that time that leads up to the when she bribes the guy to get off the island. You know, she's like a kid when it's like when it's like there's a blizzard and it's you can't drive. When you're a kid, you don't understand driving, right? And you're like, oh, I thought we're going to go to the movies, for example. And your parents go, no, we can't go. And you're like, come on, come on. Oh, the snow's going to stop. And your parents are being like, mature adults and like we're not going out now that there's too much snow you know and you're like oh because you're a kid you don't care right and she you just you just want your own way when you're a kid and she just wants her own way there when you're a kid the selfish reason is because i want to go see star wars but her selfish reason of course is like i'm afraid we am gonna fall in love with this guy and i gotta stick to my plan because i know
0: where i'm going and then of course she kind of like grows up as the movie goes on all the elements of the movie are working in that scene right love love is a force of nature it's something that you can't yeah. plan on It's something that you can't stop right the, the, the fact that she should be able to buy anything and everything she wants but there's one thing that you can't buy which is that if you're in a remote island in Scotland and there is a storm at like there's no amount of money that you can pay somebody to be safe right it's it's a reminder it's like it's a humbling of the world of london as as a reminder that you can't just buy whatever you want Th- this thing cannot be bought. It doesn't matter this the sum of money. And and of course, the the island the island is full of that knowledge. In some way, the storms that hit the island and surround the island are what shape its culture. It shapes the stories that they tell, it shapes the way that they sing songs. It shapes the way that the the kid's father knows exactly when the storm is going to stop. You know, it's, it's clearing up but we can't go yet. And so The fundamental misunderstanding is nowhere better presented than trying to bribe somebody to take you out. You might as well try to bribe the clouds.
1: And it's also that there's also this element I think where she almost like evokes the storm like supernatural because she's supernaturally because she doesn't want to leave. She wants to stay with him. We get that's the tension of the movie, right? But yet, like you know, she's kind of like you talk about left brain, right brain, or, or like you know the 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 Spock and the Kirk. She wants to stick to her itinerary, but she knows that if I stay here, I'm gonna fall in love with this guy. So it's almost like like she's, she you know, part of her wants to get off the island, but part of her wants to stay on the island. And both of those parts, I think are at war in conjuring the storm. She, you could say she almost conjures the storm and tries to get through it.
0: Now we've talked about almost everything I like about this movie, except one thing. Why do I like this movie so much, Dan?
1: Why do you like this movie so much? Because you like the, you like that. It's like a Fabergé egg. It's like a
0: perfect clock and every single. It is, but no. Why What's else? its runtime? Oh, it's it's in and
1: out in 90 minutes.
0: It's 88 minutes,
1: 88 minutes. And let's just clarify again. Let's clarify lest any new listeners think, well, this guy, Mike is a rube. He can't Mike loves long movies. You can check out our episode on uh, Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate, Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence of Arabia, which Mike has seen thousands of times, right? The point is not that Mike is anti long movie. Explain your
0: 90 minute in and out rule. You're going to explain it much better.
1: The joke about the 90 minutes is that not that Mike has no attention span, it's that Mike values, and we all do, we value economy. It's not that we don't like long movies. We've done Michael Chimino's Heaven's Gate. One of Mike's favorite movies is Lawrence of Arabia. We've done that really early in the podcast. So we're kind of kidding around here. You know, my joke rule is, of course, no movie should be longer than The Godfather, except for...
0: The Godfather Part Two.
1: Very good, right? So the point is that, like, what's amazing about this movie is that every single shot tells. It's done with such economy, and this movie was not based upon a novel, but it feels novelistic because you really get this whole sense of of the world building.
0: It's and it's brilliant. It feels like there should be source material, uh, but there's but there's not. Apparently, Pressburger wrote the screenplay in four days.
1: Yeah, four days. So it just came out of his head like Diana from the head of
0: Zeus. Y- you know who was originally supposed to play the the leads? Well, not Barbara Stanwyck. No, I'm De- kidding. But who? Deborah Kerr and James Mason. That's right, because Deborah Kerr couldn't. She, she, they already had her. You know, she ended up being in, a, of course, um, a matter of life and death. Uh, James Mason, uh, pulled out six weeks before filming, uh, apparently because he he's too British to go to Scotland.
1: We'll leave it on that note. Like Samuel Johnson, who actually did go to Scotland though and wrote a great book about it with Boswell. So, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about I know where I'm going. We take requests as we saw in this episode. Let us know what to watch. You could follow us on x at 15minfilm. You could also follow us where? Letterboxd. Letterboxd. We'll see you next time. Thank you.